And we're starting a new series today called, and wait for it, Campfire, right? And we're talking about stories of wisdom. Every summer we like to do uh, just a number of weeks on wisdom and application. It's really good because uh, it allows us to just hear God's heart. Wisdom, and we've said this for the last uh, two or three years, wisdom is the master key, right? There is a key to this building and it'll open all the outside doors. That's kind of the master key. It gets you into every room. We were on vacation uh, a couple months ago and, you know, the kids are like, how does the, you know, how does the, the maid, how do they get into the room to clean it? The cleaners. And I would say, well, they've got a master key, a key that opens up every single door. Some keys like the key that we had only opened up our door. It didn't open up my parents' door right next to us. Didn't open the other door on the other side. It just opened up our door. Well, wisdom is the key that opens up every single door. And uh, I'll show you this here in the verses, but we want to have and we want to be able to access wisdom. Solomon was the wisest person who ever lived on earth, and he was so wise that people came from all over to hear his God-given wisdom. And that's a really cool thing because it's showing us God's words are eternally the best words that people want to hear what God has said and will say to them. And so we want to be people of wisdom. And that's not couple, that's not, don't relate it to earthly wisdom. We're talking about godly wisdom. The godly, the wisdom that comes from above is first pure and, and peaceable and willing to yield and all these different things. It talks about it in James a little more in depthly, but that's the kind of wisdom that we want to have. Earthly wisdom, we'll contrast those as we later get maybe in the, today and some other days, but earthly wisdom is not necessarily what we're looking for. We want godly wisdom because godly wisdom is always coupled with faith. Some people would say faith and wisdom are like two sides of the coin. Well, the problem with that illustration is that means you're choosing one over the other, right? If I flip heads or tails, it's heads or tails. Well, in God's kingdom, it's not faith or wisdom. It's faith and wisdom. They work together. They go together. So it's not two sides of a coin. It's like two people charging together, like two wrestlers tag team in. You know, they're fighting together now with faith and wisdom. We don't just want to have wisdom fighting or just faith fighting, but we want to have faith and wisdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, you got seven amens today, and uh, I want you to give them out. Give them freely you have received, freely you can give. Amen. Okay. So uh, look at this here. First Kings chapter 10 and verses six through eight. It says this. It was a true report, which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me your wisdom and prosperity exceeded the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. That's what the Queen of Sheba said. She traveled all the way from Egypt up to hear and see Solomon great fame and wisdom. And she says, I didn't even see the half of it. And that's how awesome and in-depth God's wisdom is, is that we don't really even know the half of it. We can hear it and we can read it and we can talk about it. But people, when they begin to hear you speaking out of a heart of wisdom from God, that it transcends your age, your experience, uh, anything that you can study or know, because it's coming from God whose ways are higher than our ways. Amen. Look at this one here. This is Second Chronicles 1, 11 through 12. God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people through wisdom, and you do not ask for wealth, riches, or fame, or even the death of your enemies or a long life, but rather you ask for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested, but I will also give you wealth 
riches, and fame, such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. And, and notice what, what God is saying is here. He said, your greatest desire is to help your people. The greatest desire is to help people. And God's saying, we said this last week, you know, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Solomon's greatest desire wasn't himself, wasn't the preservation, wasn't the prosperity, wasn't the blessing of himself. It was to help other people. And God recognized this and says, because your greatest desire was not to do that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you something even better. I'm going to give you the master key that opens all the doors. Too many times we just ask for one key to one door. And God's saying, I have the key to all the doors. I will give you the, every, every room in this mansion if you want it, but you just got to ask me for it. Imagine going to a mansion and only having access to the bathroom, you know, which would be great in certain times, right? We won't need that, but wouldn't it be so much better to have ev- access to every single room of the house? Oh, here's the room where the, all the games are. There's a pool table and a ping pong table and arcade, whatever. Here's the kitchen. Here's the pantry. Here's the bedroom, whatever it is. We have access to all of those rooms through wisdom. Amen. Let me ask you this then. What would you have asked for? What do you, what are you asking for? Would it have been wisdom? We can easily say in, in hindsight, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I would have asked for wisdom too. I would have been just like Solomon, but would it have been that? Would it have been, you know what I mean? I love the part where God's like, because you didn't even, you didn't even ask for the life of your enemies, which is a big thing, you know what I mean? In the ancient world of like just battling each other and fighting. And especially if you were king to establish your kingdom and to establish the boundaries of your kingdom, you know what I mean? It's like, I need to kill people, right? And uh, fortunately, we don't have to worry about that too much today, especially in our personal lives. And hopefully you're not praying for people to die. Uh, <laughs> That's wisdom to not do that, and that's godly wisdom. But the idea is that what would you have asked for? Would you have asked for wisdom? Are you asking for wisdom? Wisdom is one of those things you can ask God for every single day, and he'll provide it. And sometimes we have to have the sensitivity to recognize what what does God's wisdom look like? And hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of elaborate and show us what, what is wisdom. You know what I mean? What does it look like and how does it operate? Wisdom is greater than all the things that God listed, wealth and riches and fame. And those are all the things that are, are the world around us treasures. But in God's kingdom, he said, I'm going to give you something greater than wealth, something greater than riches, and something greater than fame, and that is wisdom. And think about that for a second because... You know, even even as a believer, wealth, riches, and fame could could help solve a lot of problems, right? Yeah. I mean, if we have unlimited amounts of money, giving finances even away, you know what I mean, to to help solve problems, poverty, hunger, all these different things that we see in the world, homelessness, like that could solve a lot of problems. But what can solve them even better and more efficiently and long-term is wisdom. So we want to ask God for wisdom. And wisdom is one of those things that can apply to our life every single day that we're at work with our friends, with our family, whatever. God, give me the wisdom to be able to be creative or smarter or understand these things or have insights. Whatever it is, wherever we're working, we want to have the wisdom of God. Today, I want to jump into an aspect of wisdom that will kind of help set the tone for the rest of the series. And we're going to look forward by forgetting the past. And today, I want to talk about the wisdom in forgetting. And just think about that for a minute. Let it sink in the wisdom of 
forgetting. And while you're thinking about it, let's just start in prayer. Father, we just thank you today for your word. God, I thank you that is living and sharper and powerful. God, I thank you that your word is wisdom. And as we talk about your word that you're going to reveal to us, you're going to show us how good and how awesome you are. Lord, you're greater than wealth and riches and fame. Lord, getting you is the best thing that we can ever desire in life. And so today, God, we pursue you with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, to love you and to love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Forgetting, though, forgetting is not the ability, the inability to recall or like retrieve a memory. It's, it's not amnesia. You know, when, when Joseph, uh, you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph saw his brothers, he remembered them. Now, you got to think about Joseph. The brothers sold him into slavery. In fact, the original plan was to kill him. And one of the brothers was like, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just toss him in a pit. And then they toss him in a pit. And all of a sudden, this, you know, this band of traders comes and says, hey, better yet, let's make some money off this guy. Let's sell him to these band of traders. So, I mean, there's a lot of betrayal and rejection and a lot of pain going on in Joseph's life. And so they sell him. He goes down into Egypt. But all of a sudden, now he's the prince of Egypt. He's the top, you know, top dog in there. And he, all of a sudden, his brothers come in there, and he recognizes them. They don't see, know who he is, but he remembers. And all the pain and, and all, the, all the emotions and all the rejections comes to the surface. But Joseph has chosen to forget. And you say, well, how could he do that? Or why would he do that? Because there was a purpose that was bigger than the pain in his life. And... I want you to think about that for a second. The purpose is greater than the pain. Joseph displaced the pain of his brother's betrayal and rejection with purpose. He was like, this is painful. This did happen. These are real emotions. These are my real brothers. And they sold me into slavery. And in spite of all of those emotions, the purpose that he saw God had in his life was greater than the pain of that immediate moment. What, what, I mean, think about how intense that was. Maybe think of somebody who's betrayed you, and, and now you're in a position to uh, to squash them, so to speak. What would your reaction be, right? Uh, we kind of know, uh, you know, obviously not on a Sunday, but uh, on a Monday it may be like, you know, got him, squished, peace out, you know what I mean? Mic drop, hammer drop, everything drop, you're at, drop kick, you know what I mean? That would be our kind of human fleshly reaction. Maybe not yours because you're a lot holier than I am, but mine would have been like, boom, Look who's the boss now, right? You know, and it's not Tony Danza. It's me, and I'm in your boss, you know? That, that's kind of what we're thinking. You know, who's the boss was a TV show for those of you who are too young to remember that. But the idea is that, man, if we had that moment, all those emotions come flooding to the surface, and it's like, okay, this is my chance to get this person, to get them back, right? But Joseph recognized that even though there had been pain in his life, his purpose was greater than that pain. You have a purpose I have a purpose. No matter what we go through pain-wise, that purpose is always going to be greater than the pain. And the hard part about pain is that, is that we sometimes can't see the purpose in the midst of it. You know, we, we, why is this happening to me? What's going on? And God's like, I got a purpose. I mean, one of the famous verses out of that whole passage was that God did this. God allowed me to be sold into slavery so that what the devil wanted to use for evil might become good. And that's, uh, you know, an amazing thing to say. How could he have said that without the wisdom of God, right? 
He had the wisdom of God, and that's the whole story of Joseph over and over again. Every time he went into an issue, he allowed God's wisdom to just flood his life, and he was constantly put into positions of favor. Even while he's in prison, he's like the number one prison guy. Like the prison guard actually turned you know, a lot of the maintenance of the prison to him because of the wisdom in his life. It's like, here's the dude. He's even in prison, and he's finding purpose in the midst of it. And so we have to be able to understand, to move forward, to get going. We have to forget about the pain not remember the pain and think about the purpose. And so today I want to look at some points about the weapon of forgetting. And I want to give you just six points, uh, the weapon of forgetting. Forgetting is the hidden weapon. This is number one. Forgetting is the hidden weapon that wins battles against Satan, who is our adversary, who is our enemy, who's out to get us. Forgetting is a powerful weapon. One of his primary tactics is to get us to remember our sin and the sins of other people, right? He's always trying to point out the mistakes and it's very easy in this day and age and, and always in the past, you know, we've always heard people say, don't judge me or whatever. It's very easy to judge somebody else, right? We can clearly see the wrong path and the big mistakes they're doing, right? It's so easy to go into many situations and just be like, pew, pew. Wrong, 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 mistake, 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 right? Because uh, we're not living that life, right? We're not, we're not having to make concessions and, and, uh, you know, and compromises in those areas. And so we can see easy, that is so wrong and so dumb. How could you ever do that? And then we're over there doing something similar just in a different arena of life. So what the devil wants to do is he wants to pull out like a video screen you know, uh, I would say a VHS, but we've obviously passed that. He wants to give you an iTunes download, right, of all the things you did. Hey, remember this? You know, he's got a little pointer stick. Remember when you did that yesterday? Yeah. How do you feel now, right? You're not worthy. You shouldn't be going to church. What about this the other day, right? What about this? And he's just going down the list and showing you all. The... His job is to just remind us of all the mistakes that we have done. He's always trying to bring condemnation and guilt and shame into our lives. Now, it's, it's important to know that condemnation is different than conviction. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Conviction is always specific. Conviction always gives you hope in a future, right? So God says, man, you know, God doesn't say, man, you did something wrong. He's like, this is what happened in your life. And you'll start to feel like, oh man, I, I should do something. I should repent. And God's like showing you, if you repent, there's light, there's grace, there's mercy. Condemnation is the opposite. Condemnation is general and it's, there's, it offers no hope. And it's just like this wet blanket of, of guilt and condemnation just shadowed over you. And you're like, oh, this is, I don't feel very good. I shouldn't go see God. I shouldn't talk to Jesus, whatever. The devil wants to bring condemnation. The Holy Spirit brings conviction and shows us where we're not like Jesus and how we can become more like Jesus. So there is a difference. And if you're feeling condemned, then the, the, really the option is still the same. Repent, confess, come to Jesus, come into the light. Even if you're condemned or convicted, the best way to expose the devil is to shine the light onto him and say, look, you're right. I am guilty of all these things, but Jesus has taken those on himself. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Forgiven means forgotten. Think about Peter. And Peter was bitter. He was weeping. He was angry. He had totally rejected Jesus. But then contrast that with Judas, who was also bitter. He was also crying, and he was angry, and he also had totally betrayed Jesus. The difference was that Peter forgot his mistakes and moved on. He remembered his forgiveness. Peter became a powerful witness, a powerful preacher, somebody who took the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time, whereas Judas could not forget his own mistakes, and he went and hung himself. 
Think about that just for a second of, of how, how that can, how not forgetting our past and continually remembering and bringing it up and dredging it up, how it can lead to one way or one thing or another. When we remember what Jesus has done, it should motivate us to not feel sad or bad or all the, about all the things that we've done, but to make, man, thank God he's forgiven me. And now I need to tell other people. Whereas some people are like, man, I, I can't, I remember, you know, like when I was a youth pastor, like teenagers telling me, I just don't feel like God can forgive me. It's like, you're 12. What have you done in your life? You know what I mean? You're not a part of the mafia. You've not, you know, killed anybody. You know what I mean? I doubt you've been on any sort of amount of drugs or whatever. You know, the people have. Don't get me wrong. But it's like, this is a, you know, upper class neighborhood. It's like, come on. I don't feel like God can forgive me. No. And I would just tell him, i say, look, I said, that's a ridiculous excuse for you to live in your sin. Because that's really what it was. It's not that I don't feel like God can, it's like, I don't really want to leave what I'm doing and, and, and submit my life over to Jesus, which I have no problem calling that kind of thing out, especially on a young person. It's like, think again, kid. You know what I mean? You ain't done nothing in your life. You know what I mean? The worst thing you do is call your mom a jerk or whatever. You tell your mom to shut up. You know what I mean? No, God can forgive those easily. And it's also an insult to Jesus to say, you know, his blood and his sacrifice was not enough for your weak, measly little sins, right? And that's the opposite. Jesus died for the worst of us, the murderer. You know what I mean? It's like he died for every single one of us and covered all of our sins, past, present, and future. So don't tell me, Mr. 12-year-old kid, that you, you, got, you don't think God God can forgive you. That's a wrong mentality. A lot of people have that. I don't feel like God can forgive me. <laughs> he already did. You got to receive it and move on. Forget about your past, okay? And, and that's kind of what sometimes people need is the old white glove, you know what I mean? How dare you? <laughs> Slap him in the face. Put the pa- glove in your pocket, okay? We can hang ourselves on not forgetting our past, right? We can get hung up on our past and never move forward. God wants us to move forward. He wants us to grow in our life. He wants us to become more like him and tell others about him. That's why forgetting is so important. We have to use the weapon of forgiveness so we don't become choked out spiritually. Forgetting is not a sign of weakness. It's not us giving up. It's us giving our sins to God and saying, Lord, you got all these things, and I know if you forget them, then I forget them, and I'm forgiven, and you've forgiven me, so let's move forward. Amen? Amen. That's really good. Number two, forgetting keeps us together. Think of all the times we've made mistakes, you and I. There are probably times where maybe once a year I let you down or something like that. I did something wrong. You know what I mean? You're like, I don't really like that guy so much anymore or whatever. But the fact is, the matter, the matter is, is we all make mistakes, Right? Forgetting keeps us together. We must forget and forgive. One of the beauties of a Christian community, a Christian gathering, is that we're not holding things against each other. In fact, that's what Paul says about love, is love keeps no record of wrong. Now, where did Paul get that idea? He got it from God, who was like, I'm not keeping a record of all your wrongs. In fact, I've removed them as far as the east is from the west. I've removed your sin from you. So if I'm not keeping a record of your wrongs, and I could, and maybe I should, you know what I mean? That's me. But God would say, I'm not keeping the record of all your wrongs. Then therefore, if we are to walk in the type of love that Jesus has, what are we not to do with other people? Keep a record of their wrongs. That's how great God's love is, and that's the love that should be coming into our life. Philippians 3.13 says this, forgetting those things which are behind. Who are the people who have offended you? I mean, who are the people that have rejected you or, or, you know, or, or embarrassed you or guilted you or shamed you or whatever? Forget about those things which are behind. 
right? Isaiah 43, 18, this is God speaking to his people. Do not remember the former things, neither consider the old things. He's saying, don't, don't, just forget about it. I've forgotten about, forgotten about it. I want you to forget about it. So we see that weapon, the weapon of forgetting is actually a God thing. Forgiveness will keep us locked up. It'll, it'll never keep us moving forward. We cannot progress as a church uh, when there's a, you know, when, when, if we never forget, if we're always coming in and reckon, oh, this guy did this or he did that or whatever, we have to have a culture of forgiveness and forgetfulness. Forgetting keeps us together. Think about, uh, you know what I mean, with your, with your friends and family. When you forget about the, you know, that's what is so amazing about family is that we can come together in the midst of all of our failures, you know what I mean? It's like, well, we're family. We can't not love each other, right, no matter what you do to us. And that's the way it should be in the body of Christ as well because we're the family of God. Amen? Amen. Number three here, forgetting ends conflict. We must deliberately forget. Forgetting can be hard when there's a lot of pain, right? And like I said before, one of the devil's primary tactics is he's always trying to bring back that pain and always trying to bring up that wound and that scar and be like, oh, remember that? You know, put, you know, touches the wound or whatever to make it hurt again. Think back to Joseph. It wasn't that he was only betrayed by his brothers. He was also betrayed by his boss and thrown in jail. His own friends forgot him while he was in jail and they left him there. That's a lot of pain and rejection and betrayal. Yet he kept forgiving and he kept forgetting himself all the way to the palace. Right? Perhaps your unforgiveness and your memory is keeping you out of the palace keeping you out of the place where you want to go because you're always reminded of what somebody did to you. And you, know, you got that chip on your shoulder, which people say, oh, it's a good thing. He's got a chip on his shoulder. It's like, ah, I don't know. You know what I mean? That, that's going to create a bitter person if things don't keep going their way. It's good to play with competition and passion and leave everything you know, out on the court or whatever, but should playing with a chip on your shoulder as if you have something to prove, is that a good thing? I don't think necessarily it is a good thing. We want to be playing with passion and love and grace and still competing in, in the world, right? But we don't want to have that bitterness be our motivation for why we're doing things. We've got to forget and we've got to move on. When we deliberately forgive and forget, we'll end conflict, we'll end confusion, and we'll even end unproductivity or lack of you know, production. Uh, why do you say that? Because unforgiveness is exhausting, right? You've got to remember what everyone did to you. And that takes a lot of memory space, right? You know, you got a phone and it's got all this memory and you're like, oh man, my memory's full again. Well, if your memory's full and it's full of uh, people who hurt you and full of bitterness, that, that's, you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to be log jammed like, oh, I, I remember this person. What don't I like about them again? Or what did they do to me to make me not like them? Or all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Unforgiveness is exhausting. It demands your repeated attention. Unforgiveness means you have to continually work to remember and work to remember who offended you and who betrayed you. You, don't, you have to remember why or why you don't like this person. It'll wear you down. But forgetting removes that big, heavy burden that weighs us down and robs us of our joy. We've got to use this weapon as often as we can. How often? As often as conflict arises. 
It's not a concession. It's not us being a doormat. It's not us giving up. It's us moving forward and saying, you know what? This is not healthy. I'm moving forward. I'm forgetting about what you've done. And that's what's so great about that verse in Philippians. Forgetting those things which are behind. I reach forward to the things that are ahead of me for the upward call, which is in Christ Jesus. He's saying, look, I forget about all the things I've done, all the mistakes I've made. And this is Paul. Paul, who was murdering Christians only uh, you know, years and months before, says, I forgot about all those things that I did to hurt God, to hurt his people, and I'm reaching forward to what Jesus has for me, which is better than the pain that I went through personally and the pain I put people through. I'm preaching better than you're amen this morning, just so you know. Okay? Don't think that people people are going to fail us, right? They're going to make mistakes, and we have to allow and make allowances for that. People are going to betray us. They're going to reject us. We have to continually forget about it. And one of the things that I always kind of remind myself and try to remind the church, too, is that somebody around you is hurting. And and there's a saying that uh, a Christian psychologist says, he says, hurt people hurt people. Right? When you're hurt, you're going to hurt somebody else. And we have to recognize that we live in a lost and a hurting world. And so people are hurting us and hurting each other because that's all they know to do. And we have to go way above and beyond that to show them the love of Jesus and to absorb that and deflect that and all that stuff and turn around and show them how the light of the gospel can remove the pain and the hurt that is in their life. And the way we do that is to forget about it, right? That's what the mafia says. Forget about it. You got to forget about it. The next one, forgetting will lead to success. Success requires forgetting offenses. Now think about how opposite uh, that is to culture, right? You've got revenge. I'm going to show those who didn't believe in me. I'm going to get revenge on them. Or remembering. I will remember all those who stepped on me and, 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 and told me and tried to drag me down. I'm going to remember everybody who hurt me. And then the last one, they reject. I, uh, everyone who turned their back on me, right? And you, when you look at that, that, that is the opposite of the, of the life of Jesus. He was never out for revenge. Think about every person who betrayed him. His closest friends totally betrayed him, right? Jesus is so awesome because he can relate to us in the midst of all that pain. He, he can relate with us and say, I know what it's like to be rejected. I know what it's like to to have been uh, you know betrayed and have people hate me and spit on me and whip me and beat me and call me names. Jesus, I know exactly what that feels like. That's why I'm showing you the better way to do it. Right? Jesus has not remembered our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's how far He has removed our sins from us and the memory of our sins from us. And even though we've been rejected, like I said before, we have a Savior who can relate. He has not rejected us, right? The, you, know, you see the dump trucks around town. Jesus won't dump you, you know? A powerful witness. Jesus won't dump you. He's not going to reject you. He's not going to turn his back on you. That's the opposite of, of the world we live in. We need to forget our own mistakes and learn from them. We need to forget our flaws and allow someone to help us in them. This is why being part of a church and a part of a small group. All those things are good because when we have flaws, we can't see those things a lot of times and someone comes along and they help us and we help them and we get to learn and grow. We got to forget the mistakes of others, the attacks of others, the rejection of others. When we forgive and when we forget, that will lead us to greater success in life. The next one, forgetting our mistakes 
keeps us in contact with God. Isaiah 43, 25 and 26. I, even I am he that blots out your transgressions for my own sake and will not, what does that say? Remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare that you may be justified. So if God says, I will not remember your sins, why are we remembering our sins? Why are we not forgetting them? Why are we saying, you know what? If God has forgiven me and I'm walking in his constant forgiveness, then I also have forgotten and forgiven myself. And sometimes it's a lot hard time as people have a hard time forgiving their self for what they've done. And they're actually, what they're, what you're doing is they're rejecting Jesus's work. When Jesus was on the cross, there were these Roman centurions and they were saying, if you're God, then you get off that cross. And what that call is called doctrinally is tempting Christ. So you, you get off the cross and, and you come down here and be like the rest of us. And Jesus rejected their, their assault and rejected that temptation, said, I'm not going to do that. And when we say, I can't forgive myself, we're in fact trying to tempt God and say, well, God, you come off the cross and be like me. And he says, no, you, you get on the cross and become like me. But you don't have to get on the cross because I took and went on the cross for you. So forgive yourself. Sometimes we just have to forgive ourselves. We're not perfect. We're going to mess up. But Jesus has forgiven us. And so we need to forgive ourselves also. Amen. What separates us from God is our sin. Why are we out of contact with him? And it's usually the result of guilt, right? I don't go to, I feel guilty. I don't go to church. That's exactly where you should go if you feel guilty, right? You should be going into the light. And that is sort of counter our sin nature of if I've got sin, I want to hide it. And we saw that from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, right? What happened? They, they discovered they were naked and all of a sudden God's like, hey, where is everybody at? And Adam's like, we're over here. And God's like, why are you hiding from me? He's like, <laughs> what? Hiding? No, I'm not hiding. We're just uh, hanging out behind this gaggle of trees over here. And what they want to do, they want to cover themselves. They want to hide. And Jesus comes and he becomes the atonement. The word atonement, which he atoned for our sins, it means to cover our sins. Adam and Eve took leaves and they tried to cover themselves. They tried to atone for their own sins. And God says, that's not going to work. What has to happen is there has to be a sacrifice for those sins now. So I have to do the work. I have to offer up myself so that your sins can be atoned for. Your sins can be covered. So when we come to Jesus, he ex we expose our sins before him, but then he covers us in his love, which is why we say, man, I want to keep going into his presence. I want to keep going in there and having my sins forgiven. Amen? If we are forgiven, we don't, we don't need to feel guilty. If we're feeling guilty, then there's an easy solution, of course. Confess, repent, ask forgiveness, then bask in God's glorious healing light, et cetera, et cetera, right? That's the good part. And we have to get into the art of asking forgiveness, of, of coming to God and being okay with that. Now, side note, this morning, I'm, I'm only talking about, uh, you know, forgetting and, and forgiving, but we'll, we'll get into some boundaries and setting good boundaries uh, so that we don't, so that with this combination of forgiving and forgetting, we don't just become a punching bag for the world. But we're going to talk about how to set good boundaries in life because that's God's wisdom. Jesus didn't let people just do whatever they wanted to whenever they wanted it to him, right? So we look at the Bible and say, man, how can we set boundaries at the same time? How can we forgive and forget? Forgiving and forgetting is actually a way of setting a boundary, a healthy boundary in life. Amen? Amen? Last point here. When you forget, God forgets and blesses you. When you forget, God forgets and blesses. Psalm 18, 25, with the merciful, 
you will show yourself merciful. Blessed are the merciful, basically people who are forgiving and forgetting. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Be merciful as your Father also is merciful. Be forgiving and forgetting just like God who is forgiving and forgetting. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now notice when Jesus is saying, do not judge, he's saying, don't judge unless you want to be judged. The job of a judge is actually to to administer justice, to make judgments. Judgments are not bad things, contrary to what the world says. God is going to judge the world with righteousness and truth because that's who he is. As a just judge, God must judge sin. Try saying that ten times fast, right? So God has to judge sin. We no longer have to judge others. We, however, are and will be and should be fruit inspectors, Right? So I don't need to go around telling people they're sinners. I do need to be, go around and say, hey, you know what, brother, sister, I see that you need some help. How can I help you? The fruit's a little rotten over here. Let's just pull that one off and let's try this fruit over here. This is righteousness. This is peace. This is joy. This is grace. You know what I mean? And we're showing, we're not judging. We're not saying you're wrong and you're evil. We're saying, look, I see where there's issues in your life. Can you help me with my fruit? Because sometimes I, I can't see the fruit in the back of the tree. Are you following the illustration, right? Some of you are like, I'm not a tree. I'm not a fruit. It's a, it's a metaphor. Okay. Joseph, okay, this is what's so great. This kind of wraps up the whole, the whole thing right here. Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Ephraim, right? Manasseh means to forget. Ephraim means blessed, prosperous, bountiful, and fruitful. Think about that, right? Forgetting was first. Blessing came after. He had to forget, then God began to bless. When we forget, it unlocks the blessing of God in our life. Let's unlock that door of blessing today. Right? Joseph, he forgot the, 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 the sins and the betrayal and the rejection of his own brothers, his own family, who were going to kill him. And then they didn't kill him. They threw him in a pit, and then they pulled him out of the pit. And he's like, oh, you guys, you're gonna, we're going to be back together. And they're like, no, we're selling you to traders in Egypt. You know what I mean? Like, Ugh! imagine just the torture of this little young little fella being sold into slavery, right? And he forgot And he was blessed. And he says, my two sons are going to be Manasseh and Ephraim, forgetting the past, reaching forward to the blessing of the future. Let's stand as we close this morning. And I want to just share this verse because I think it just kind of sums up it all. It's Jeremiah 31, 34. It says, I will surely have mercy upon him, says the Lord, upon us. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more more. Forgetting is not erasing our memories. It's adding purpose to our pain to obliterate it. It's forgetting and it's fruitfulness. The purpose is greater than the pain. Let's let God's purpose reign in our lives today so that we can move forward and we can have the life that God has intended for us. Let's bow our heads.